This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, your winsome winter postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. More heavy on the winsome winter than the postmortem this winter. And I am your host, Matt, joined as always by Pastor Michael. Are you ready? I'm ready. You know, it's uh, winter is a time when a lot of things die. And so maybe it's a good time to take a break from the postmortem and give some of that hopeful, optimistic winsomeness. That's right. And this winter, we are going to give some hopeful optimism to people who maybe today were greeted by the White House's announcement that it's going to be a winter of death and sadness. That or, was a brutal. Wow, that was brutal. <laughs> that was brutal. Or the uh, or the NIH saying that it's uh, we're we're in a world of trouble. And so we honestly are going to just we're going to be here. We're going to try and bring some positivity because we're not going to cancel Restless. And for me, honestly, around the holidays, it's one of my it's one of the worst podcasting time because every podcasts takes off time. I actually personally, I, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast that's not taking a break, but I kind of like it because it gives me a chance to do more audiobooks. <laughs> Whoa. So if you like audiobooks, you can go ahead and, I don't know, buy more Audible credits. This podcast is going to fight inflation by remaining free. Yeah, and absolutely. We are here for you, whether you are locked down or whether you, for whatever reason, can't go out. And so we're here and we are actually going to be announcing the 12 Days of Restless, coming soon from Christmas to Epiphany. That'll be exciting. But today we are going to have to, we're going to try and keep it keep it light, keep it happy, as we talk about the deep divisions that formed among the YRR. Here we go. Nice, happy, winsome material. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this is why. Because one of the topics we're going to cover this uh, winsome winter is maybe how to bring back the winsome. Because evangelicalism... Most of the articles written today are like the end of evangelicalism. Oh, they're really the scoldy too, right? Yeah. They're very scoldy on one way or the other. They're very like, you know, uh, very condescending most of the time. Yep. And today we are going to start with one of the articles that I think kind of kicked off this trend. And I'm going to, I am going to credit this man, this OG as a trendsetter. Kevin DeYoung, the trendsetter. The guy, right? He is. He's a trendsetter. <laughs> he's, he's kind of our guy. We, uh, <laughs> we, we end up doing a lot for him here on the show. And he, back in March of 2021, and people asked for us to cover this back when it was when it was done. And we're and so we're coming back to it. And we'll do other articles that have been sent See, to us. See, we get to the material. If you send it to us, we get to it. It just might take a little while. And, and during the 12 Days of Restless, we are going to get to all kinds of material. It'll be fun. So the, the title of this article in March was Why Reformed Evangelicalism Has Splintered, Four Approaches to Race, Politics, and Gender. Notable, uh, not the catchiest title that's ever been written, but that's okay. It sounds like something a careful person would write. It really does. It sounds like somebody being as careful as they can be. <laughs> and so, uh, Pastor Michael, I mean, I think that what he is responding to is pretty self-evident for everyone. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, uh, we have seen the increased kind of tribalization of, you know, society in general, but we've seen it very clearly within uh, the, uh, those who, shall we say, have usually been together for the gospel. That's right. <laughs> it seems as though we are not all together anymore. And perhaps why that said conference is coming to an end. And and this is really where Kevin DeYoung starts his article. 
because he says, of course, we all know that America is becoming a more and more divided nation. But what really is upsetting to him is that actually the reformed evangelicalism is not really one faction inside of that nation, but it's dividing two um, along similar lines or at least at the same time. Yeah, we've talked about this uh, idea even as, you know, cultural entropy with uh, our good, uh, you know, uh, I guess sociologist, scientist, uh, master scientist, I don't remember what we called him last time, Brad Vermerlin, uh, and the idea of this kind of splintering and what happens generally to cultural groups as they kind of pull apart. And so we seem to see that. I mean, we seem to see it happening uh, pretty pretty strikingly in uh, those who not so many years ago were all just, you know, kind of holding hands and everything was going great, it seemed. Yeah. And so he, he looks back longingly on the good old days of the YRR, as he says, from about the year, the 2000s to 2014. And he said it was, it was great. Of course, he said there were disagreements about things like sacraments, spiritual gifts, polity, and approaches to worship. We here on The Restless Show... a lot of things. <laughs> we think those were probably a pretty big deal. And again, we have said that because of those kinds of disagreements the the YRR probably wasn't going to be a generations-long yeah, unity. Right. It couldn't have lasted long because those are centrally important. The moment we had babies or someone started speaking in tongues, the divisions were going to begin, <laughs> right? And that's another thing we'll be covering. We, will, we have been asked so many times to discuss a little bit about cessationism. We're going to do it this winsome winter uh, because we need to be winsome about it because... Those often known for that subject are not so winsome. But he says, here are the things that held us together. Historic Christian orthodoxy, inerrancy, penal substitution, Calvinistic soteriology, the Reformation solace, complementarianism, and the centrality of expositional preaching. He also says it was important what we were not. We were not liberals, not Arminians, not emergent, not seeker-sensitive, not prosperity gospel, not egalitarians, not revisionists on sexual ethics, not Catholics, not watered-down evangelicals, and not compromisers on unpopular doctrinal truths. So, Pastor Michael, there is what we were centered around. I think even some of these things we were agreed on have begun to slip in oh, some ways. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, they have. But you do think, I mean, this is, again, this is, you know, when we've talked with Brad in the past, this is the... This is kind of the, the way that the YRR was positioned as, you know, primarily against many of these things. So I would even say that the things that, you know, uh, that the YRR was known as not being is probably more definitive uh, than anything else, which is why the issues of sacraments or other things were not as important. And he says, where did these divides begin? He doesn't mention even political issues or theological issues. He mentions cultural events. He lists Ferguson in 2014, Trump 2016, MLK 50 2018. Actually, that was a YRR conference, so that would be our unforced error if that's if that's the cause. The coronavirus, which is continuing, and George Floyd, and then more Trump. And he says that the biggest issue seems to be race, uh, but it's not just race that divides us. It's these. He describes the what he thinks is happening in Reformed evangelicalism as cultural inclinations or instincts how do we respond to the world around us yeah i'll be 
interested to you know talk through this more once we get into his different categories on how to think about this. I do tend to think that uh, I mean this is this is not just an issue that's happening to the YRR. Obviously, um, I think that you see it in part because there was not the strong bonds that you maybe you know would have had for other reasons, like because it was. Because the bonds were around things like doing conferences together and doing, hey, like we all agree on these kind of least common denominator ideals. Um, I don't think that that's enough to hold people together. And it's probably why, you know, generally in our country, we're seeing the same thing as most people, what they have in common and what they like agree with each other on are usually like these very kind of bare minimum principles one way or the other, usually political principles, but um, there are other things too. Um, whereas there's not a lot of like shared common communal life uh, that in the past would have, you know, bonded people together uh, culturally, but also then, you know, you think about in a church and, and in church life, if if you are listening to all kinds of online preachers and maybe you go to church, but your primary like influence is from those who are outside of that common communal living, uh, then, well, I mean, what's going to happen is over time, you're going to be drawn more to that than to those people, right? So I don't know. I'll, I'll be interested to see kind of where he where he goes with this. So what he does is he describes Reformed Evangelicalism breaking into four camps. And so I'm going to read each one, and he has given them all a positive name uh, because he is a nice guy. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. And also that is helpful, right? That is, I mean, that is a good way to do it when you're trying to get people to uh, identify with a group. We are going to do... Uh, maybe the opposite. We're going to describe how people actually describe these groups because I think that will actually, because no one, the problem with this kind of a description is no one uses these categories. Yeah. And so we have to, um, we we just have to, and again, we're not going to purposely insult them except maybe sometimes. <laughs> but we just need we to. We would never. It's winds of winter. It's winds of winter. We can't do that. So the first group, this is group number one. And, and so this is, a, I think what you also need to have in mind is, I'll, I'll link to the article, but this is a spectrum. And quite honestly, he doesn't want to call it this way. It's a spectrum from left to right. So it's one, two, three, four. One would be the furthest to the left politically, culturally, and even theologically as we'll get to. And four would be uh, the, the extreme on the right, if you want to call it that. So here's number one. This group is contrite. Look at the church's complicity in past and present evils. We have been blind to injustice, prejudice, racism, sexism, and abuse. What the world needs is to see a church owning its sins and working its brokenness to make them make up for them and overcome them. So if I were to name this group, I would name it the progressive. This would be the progressive wing. Generally more progressive. I mean, because you see, you know, uh, you see many who, the, the difficulty with these terms, right, is because yes. progressive is a word that we typically use. Um, speaking of those who would have more like theologically liberal views, there are people who say these things, who sound like this, who at least on paper have, you know, much more evangelical or, mm -hmm. you know, kind of conservative theological views. And so that, it just makes right. it a little bit tricky. But yes, I mean, in this category, in this kind of categorization, without a doubt, this is the progressive side of things. This is the progressives. Um, these are the people that, I, I mean, what are the other words that they would be insulted as cultural Marxists, right? That they are the they are basically so the far right is calling them cultural they're going Marxism, along yeah. right they're they are they are concerned with 
things that the world is concerned about. And they see those things impacting the church negatively. And think the proper response for us to take right now is one of saying, I'm sorry. Um, And and, and here's my, and I'm going to give kind of my thought on each group. The question, and and Kevin DeYoung will say this later, right? Because each team has a uh, a positive word, the question isn't like, should you ever be contrite? Even me, who's who's gonna be somewhere down the ro- road on this uh, on this spectrum, it the question isn't should you ever say sorry? Should you ever ask for forgiveness? Right? Should you ever repent? Of course. <laughs> the, the question is, did you sin? Is the church in yeah. some kind of sin? And should I apologize? Right. So is this an actual sin as defined by the word of God, or is this a cultural sin defined by the culture, but it's not actually a sin in God's eyes? Or am I just apologizing because that is some kind of a credibility building or makes me seem approachable or winsome? Yeah. Like, so one of the critiques would be, is this just another kind of self-righteousness rather than an actual following after Christ, actual repentance, things like that? Right. And so, so then we'll come to the second group. This would be the compassionate. Look at the many people hurting and grieving in our midst and in the world. Now it is the time to listen and learn. Now is the time to weep with those who weep. What the world needs is a church that demonstrates the love of Christ. So this group is, yeah, the, I would call this group the, this is the winsome evangelical group. This is the group of you know, the evangelicals who, you know, they don't want to necessarily, they're not going to necessarily agree with the critiques of the church, but they do think it is that, I mean, right, the listen and learn, right? If if there was ever, a, I think that this is the group that Kevin DeYoung is not a part of, that he's probably closest to, because he's he's nailing the kinds of words they use, right? Listen and learn. Weep the, with those who weep. This is this is that group. And if and it, the far right is calling these people compromised. Right. And, and probably the far left is calling them compromise, right? You are, you're not on board with, oh, you're going to weep about it, but you're not going to do anything. Yeah. Again, I think the question for, for this group is, ah, should I talk about my pet peeve a little bit here? Just jump into it. Why not? <laughs> it's not winsome, but it's, it is a pet peeve I have. When you say the word, have we talked about this on the show? When you say the word lament... I get triggered. Yeah, I don't know that we've talked about it. I think we've talked about we've it, but talked I don't about think it. we've talked about it on the show. So here's why. I I have, in the more recent years, come to love singing the psalms, making my, um, my piety, my singing, my prayers, psalm-infused, right? And, and I've talked about how, I know I've talked about it on the show, how the psalms increase our ability to express ourselves and our praise to God. And right now, it's... It, it, it's weird to me that it's very popular to talk about the laments, all the psalms that are laments. But what I've realized is I think the reason this triggers me when people talk about lamenting is it's it's time to weep with those who weep. And it is it is a not a it is not a weeping because of some some event, some tragedy, which we should do. It is a when someone is sad or weeping, you immediately, you choose to weep with them regardless of the truth, right? That this is, I can lament 
how this person is feeling, regardless of the truth of what they're saying. Yeah, so it's a very postmodern kind of subjective way of approaching the world and approaching other people. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter what is actually happening. Right. What matters is that they are experiencing this feeling, and I need to feel that with them. And and so, I, again, because this isn't the time, we could talk about that another time. That's That is a much more of a pastoral question. That is not what the Psalms talk about. And so, again, it's this borrowing of this scriptural language to kind of shoehorn me into a needed response. And again, I, I'm not saying that couldn't be a needed response sometime or that you shouldn't respond sympathetically to people. Right. I'm saying that that is not lamenting yeah, uh, biblically. So uh, I think that the question for these people is we need to always be asking, how are you defining compassion and what does compassion look like in this situation? Maybe another question too is, is it possible that somebody could manipulate you yes. with their feelings? Yes. That's a great question. And so, because I think Jesus Christ was compassionate. That's how he's described. Clearly. He, he, he describes being moved in compassion for the lost sheep. Yeah. And sometimes that causes him to rebuke the Pharisees and right he he acts on compassion in all kinds of ways that aren't aren't able to be defined as what is Christ's one posture throughout. Yeah, right? so it's different. So he does weep. I mean, yes. think about when Jesus wept because of uh, the news of Lazarus's death and uh, all of that. But then, like you said, he also at times uses his compassion as a means to say, "I need to teach these people and help them." Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, good questions. Almost winsome. Almost. Almost. <laughs> so the third group, which is where uh, Kevin DeYoung uh, places himself, he says is the group that is careful. Look at the moral confusion and intellectual carelessness that marks our time. Let's pay attention to our language and our definitions. What the world needs is a church that will draw upon the best theological traditions and lead the way in understanding the challenges of our day. I think, again, Kevin DeYoung was, did, is working hard to be fair. I do think he kind of shows his hand that, hey, this is the good one, right? Let's be really careful. <laughs> and about... he does, I mean, you know, of course. Yeah, if, I don't if, blame him. If that's him. where he's at, yeah. right? It makes sense that that's the one he's going to be working through. Yep. How would you describe this group outside of it? I think this is the intellectual... Uh, so, I mean, one of the, I guess, you know, if we're going to, so we've kind of asked questions of each yeah. of these groups from, you know, we've talked about it on the, the more kind of positive side, mm -hmm. which, you know, so positive side, um, these are people that want to be uh, very rigorous in how they're understanding things. They don't want to be sloppy. They don't want to misrepresent somebody. Right. They want to take people at their word. They want to believe uh, people uh, in what they say and then deal with them on those grounds. Um, so they, they want to be careful, in other words. Um, however, maybe one of the questions would be, um, is this simply a way that you can stay out of it? Is this simply a way that you don't have to get your hands dirty and deal with, you know, the, the difficulty of actually confronting things and saying, hey, maybe there's not, you know, four categories here, but maybe, or maybe some of these four categories are out, right? you know, and which some of in these different categories we'll see on both the far sides would probably say of each other. Yes. Um, and then there's people in the middle that maybe they want to kind of hold on to everybody, but it's not clear that you can. And uh, I don't know, you know, exactly the, you know, the answers to this, but I do think that that is something that often people can hide behind uh, kind of this, you know, veneer of, well, I'm just being careful and intellectual and, 
it's really an aloofness that you don't ha want to have to get your hands dirty and actually deal with actual conflict and actual people. Right. That's, that, that would be one of my concerns right. anyway. Right. The question is, is, right, and the other question is, do we live in a time of like, you know, this is, this is I think, sometimes in the other people when they look at some of the reformed, and they might even think about us when we talk about certain subjects, they are often an ivory tower debate. Like, do we live in a time where we get to develop careful, you know, all of these things? Or, or is there a, do we need your action, right? I think the fourth group, the group that is called courageous, would call them cowards, right? Why, you guys, oh, right? They would say things like, I mean, you see this, right? Hey, thanks guys for jumping on condemning CRT now after we've done it for five years and been called racist for five years. Now you guys are ready to write your articles. Right. You also see the people that I think Kevin Young would put in the contrite category right. are the most, it seems, uh, kind of, uh, you know, the most, I don't, I don't know what the right word would be. Uh, they go on the attack most with this group, with the careful yeah. group. Mm. They go after them the hardest, it seems like. That's maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's my perception. We've talked about this before. That it seems like those who are the most careful, like Kevin DeYoung, mm -hmm. this guy gets in controversy all the time for saying the most like bland things in the right. world. He says very careful, thoughtful things, and people get all over him for it. So why is that? That's interesting to me. So you've got then you've got the extreme on the right and yep. extreme on the left both attacking you pretty viciously. And I think that there are one of two reasons we could say. So I think that why would number one attack number three, maybe the number four? Number four, they might consider gone. You are the scum of the earth. We'll see you later, you <laughs> you deplorable white nationalist, yeah, right. basically. Or, or it's because you may just have more relational online networks. I see things from Kevin DeYoung. I don't see things from, I don't know, Doug Wilson or, or whoever would be out, you know, considered on this, you know, out on this other fringe. And so, because I see it, because it's I react, mm -hmm. I react more. Yeah. So I, I think those are the. That. I think those are our two possibilities. So the closeness of relationship, or since that fool is gone, or we could give it the the really positive view for the careful is that because they're working hard to build careful critiques and careful uh, discussions, those are going to be the most lasting, and therefore we have to work to destroy the most heavily. So let's go. Let's go to the final one. This is the. Courageous. Look at the church's compromise, if not outright capitulation, to the spirit of the age. Now, this is the time for a trumpet blast, not for backing down. What the world needs is a church that will admonish the wayward and warn against danger and stand as a bulwark for truth, no matter how unpopular. So, Pastor Michael, what, what do you think, what questions, or how would you describe the courageous group? Again, positive side, they want to like just stand upon the word of God and not be those who could capitulate. I mean, you look down through history and time and time again, there are those who will give up on the truth of the scripture in right. order to acquiesce to culture in some way. They don't want to do that. They want to stand firm. Uh, on the other hand, uh, a lot of times these are the kinds of people that draw hard lines where they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, they make extreme statements about others, right? So they, they have, you know, this is very much like this is where you put a lot of fundamentalists, I think, uh, or just like fundamentalist leanings, shall we say? Right. Uh, you know, like just the, the approach to other people is one of skepticism. It's one uh, where like the, you know, the trust is 
very easily lost um, and very, very hard to regain. Uh, and honestly, sometimes just uh, they're jerks. <laughs> right. That's on the negative side. Like they actually are uh, people who they don't, they are actually jerks to yes. other people. This the, the question I had written for this group is, are you being courageous or are you just being a jerk? Are you just a jerk? That's the question. <laughs> Which is sometimes the case. Yes. So again, I think this group is for the careful people. Anyone, anyone, anyone criticizing anyone to the from the right is this group. That if you are, if you are further along that way, and and so I think in that way, my guess is the Restless Podcast would be considered courageous. What courageous? I know. <laughs> I don't think we're very. It's courageous. winter. Winter. Yeah, I I think we probably sometimes toe the line of courageous and careful. I think we probably take. A lot of the kinds of takes, since we're from the right, that probably a lot of the courageous would take. But I think we actually explain them in a much more careful way. I also think the other question the courageous need to answer is, do you have a sense of proportion in what you're fighting? Yeah. that's Oh, that's Be- really good. That's because, a really good question. Because, please, again, you don't need to blow up every... Right when we look at the things, ah, oh, the YRR, we didn't worry about sacraments or baptism or spiritual gifts. We're like, are you joking? These things are important. So, Pastor Michael, there is no denying that these four groups are heavily divided, and we are going to do some bonus content. We're not going to walk through all of the current event issues that they're divided over, right? But he lists things like Trump, Christian nationalism, police shootings, wearing masks. Again, I think it's interesting, though, that gender roles is part of the list, which is one of the things I thought we kind of all were supposed to be right, together we were on. supposedly together on. And so that's why I think there is more going on than culture. But these four groups have divided. But we here at Restless, because it is winsome winter, it's time to let the healing begin. We want to bring you all together. We want you to have a seat at the table with us. And so the how are we going to do this? We are releasing an ebook because we are... We're joining, I think we're joining the careful crusade on this one when you release an ebook. We are releasing an ebook that is out now, available for Kindle. Yeah, right now it is available. It should be available now. (laughs) And we'll have a link in the notes or we will make sure it's available. And that is what the 12 Days of Restless are going to be about. Reminding you that this ebook exists. You can go get it. That you can, you can go get, get it, it any day. You could buy multiple. You could buy it for a friend. And reminding you that that ebook exists for 12 days in a row. But we are going to do lots of fun and interesting content that we have kind of had backed up. And maybe, again, maybe we'll talk more about this article, but we will talk about a lot of other things. We already have some other KDY material lined up ready to go. And so, what is the Deacon of God? The Deacon of God is an ebook we put together that we've talked about on the show before. Uh, we wrote an uh, introduction about uh, the similar things that Kevin DeYoung is decrying in this article, and then took from a number of the Reformed Confessions all the subjects they had regarding the law and the civil magistrate and the state. And so the Deacon of God, the subtitle is A Reformed Guide to the Civil Magistrate. Civil government. Civil government. Yep. So it's a, a reform guide to civil government, and uh, it is it is this compilation. And then we've gotten ahead and edited them together in such a way that they also have discussion questions. And so um, you can use the discussion questions to think maybe a little bit more thoroughly, maybe be a little bit more careful yeah. as you uh, try to understand both the confessions. But then, especially we want 
to help in the endeavor of applying these things today? What, what does it look like for us to have a, a solid biblical understanding of the civil government, but today? Mm-hmm. And it all, it, this, this whole idea came from, and we may do this with uh, other subjects if, if people find this helpful. This all came from this realization I had while I was studying the confession. I was studying the confession for one of my RTS classes on all of the, the high, beautiful, orthodox statements it makes on Christology and the scripture, right? The beginning of the Westminster Confession of Faith on scripture is is maybe an, is an almost unparalleled in its quality statement of the Protestant doctrine of scripture, right? You can look at its top discussions of God and justification and you come, right? This is 33 chapters long. And you come to this section and there is a chapter on the civil magistrate. And it it suddenly clicked in my mind that that means essentially there is an orthodox Christian position on civil government. Or at least a reformed orthodox position on civil government. And that was so interesting, right? That the, the Westminster Divines, in order for there to be unity in the church, unity in the spiritual kingdom... They thought it was necessary that they stake out a at least a position on civil government. Yeah. So, I mean, this is our olive branch uh, to all of the tribes in Kevin DeYoung's article and uh, any that maybe didn't make it. Um, we think this is a good starting place, that this could be the place that we can kind of come together. Now, what you'll find uh, as you read through the Confessions, and we you know uh, show this very clearly in this book, um, they do not all agree. And right. so it's clear that down through the centuries, this has been uh, a major spot of disagreement, which if you've read church history at all, you know that this has been a major uh, spot of disagreement. However, we do think that when we start with the, the Reformed Confessions, we can have a solid basis to then come together and really start working through this. Instead of just taking some kind of like, you know, uh, you know, uh, late stage liberal, just general approach that we just like assume from our culture, and we just bring it into the church, we want to say, hey, maybe there are things that we can look back on uh, from history. We can stand on the shoulders of these giants in order to better understand how we should be understanding the role of civil government today. Uh, and, you know, by the way, you know, we we have uh, very little as far as, you know, putting out there, you know, uh, desires for donations to the Restless Show or right. anything like that. We might at some point. We've talked about starting up a Patreon or those sorts of things um, for to cover some of the you know costs and things that we have regarding the show. But up to this point, we've done almost nothing like that. Uh, we do have stickers out. You can still get the sticker, by the way. It's not too late. Uh, those are always available. But uh, for the most part, we haven't done those things in part because we want to just we want to get content out there. We want to if we have anything coming in, we want it to be because we are doing something that is valuable and worth it. And so if you've ever thought, hey, I would love to support The Restless Show in some way, this is actually the way to do it. Go and purchase this book. And that's a way to support us. It helps cover our costs. Uh, but also, it's a very inexpensive way for you to get some new material that we actually think will be beneficial for you. Right. We, we think that instead of right these, these kind of scattershot issues that Kevin DeYoung kind of has these groups being defined by... If we start with these foundational principles, we'll be able to get a lot further. And in this way, I do think we can see the ways we, as you think through these things, as I thought through these things, you'll see the ways where it's, 
Where I would actually say if someone's like, oh, no, we should never divide over politics. Wrong. It's okay sometimes. We have to divide over certain political issues. And if there's an Orthodox Christian position, now, we might debate or disagree about exactly where that is. But the fact that there is one means it's worth it. And two, though, it will cause us to not divide over a lot of political issues. Right. It will allow us that kind of unity that says, hey, within these bounds, this is what orthodoxy does. Within these bounds, there is room for disagreement, and that's okay. But outside of these bounds, we need to start, you know, uh, no longer coming together. And so we think the deacon of God is the place to start. So if you are going to be stuck inside, I think that you could use this. I mean, there are so many questions you probably will not be interested in considering and answering them all based on the Reformed Confessions, but you could. You could easily take these discussion questions, turn it into a group that you have a discussion with them. Maybe someday we'll discuss these with a group of people online if there's interest in that. Or you could very easily take these certain sections of these confessions and these discussion groups and I'd say teach a one-off Sunday school on the civil government. What What does the church say? What did the Bible say about those kinds of ideas? And so we hope it's helpful. We hope instead of hurting and being sad looking looking back on the beautiful days of the YRR we want to look forward to the glorious days of the of the future of the winsome united future where we are, are all once again together for the gospel well thank you for joining us for discussing Kevin DeYoung's sad article that we turned happy by releasing an ebook. We did it. Uh, so please go out, uh, check it out. It's, you know, uh, link is in the description. You can uh, go and purchase it right now. So don't wait. Don't wait even till I'm done talking. Go right now. Pause this. Go. All right, you got it. Perfect. <laughs>